Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. Welcome to Christmas Eve, ladies and gentlemen. Whether you have been naughty or nice, you are here with the Equity crew, which means you are currently hiding from family, and we are glad to have you. But welcome to our family. Today, we are gathered around our proverbial Christmas tree with Natasha Moscarenas. Natasha, hello. You are wearing green today. You are feeling festive. Hi. You know what? I didn't even plan to, but um, yeah, I'm always festive. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. You are actually one of the, one of the happier and peppier and more holiday-oriented people in my life, and I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> also, we have Marianne Azevedo. Marianne, what are some Texas Christmas traditions that we should be aware of? Well, it's going to be 85 degrees <laughs> this week, so... That'll do it. <laughs> um, ladies and gentlemen, though, we are not doing our regular show. We have instead for you a, a treat, a real treat. We are going to do a roundup of sorts. We have gone through and we have thought about the year. We have gone back through headlines. We have reread articles. We have done a Twitter poll slash thread thing. We have grabbed all the big stuff and we are going to look back over the year because my gosh, 2021 was not what we wanted. It was not what we expected, but it is what we got. So Marianne, up top, <laughs> tell us about some venture capital numbers to set the tone, if you will. After a dip last year due to the pandemic, uh, numbers it feels like we're going to be like much, much, much higher. And when it comes to dollars, they really were. Although deal volume was not so much, which is mean, means that we're seeing larger and larger rounds. The question then becomes, Natasha, will we see an all-time high in deals in the U.S. this year? Because the, the number, according to CB Insights data, which is what we're pulling from here, uh, said that there were just under 11,000 deals in 2018. And so I'm curious to see if we will actually best that when we get Q4 data in. But certainly, at least in dollars, this is the height. This is the highest point. I definitely feel like we'll see it surpass 2020 based on the VCs I talked to. I've asked them if we're going to be getting any time off before the end of the year and they're full steam ahead. There was that little dip for a month in 2020 due to the pandemic and that didn't happen this year. So hopefully the math works out and we beat some sort of record. <laughs> I, I feel like we, we, we've earned it just given how busy the three of us have been, frankly, just writing and also like the whole podcast crew and just everyone at TC. Like if this isn't a record, did we break or I feel like the market is breaking us, if that makes sense, right? So true. I remember Eric from Contrary last year said something that really struck me, which was that while funding is growing and so many startups are raising, the types of startups that VCs believe in haven't changed too much. Marianne, you know, you've been covering some of the hottest sectors uh, for, for years now. You actually picked some good stuff back in the day and have stuck with it. So I'm just thinking fintech, Latin America, pretty much the areas that you focus on have been red hot. So I'm curious, just giving us a little bit of a prediction, getting ahead of ourselves, expecting more of the same next year. Can we keep this up? I don't think we're going to see a slowdown at all in fintech and definitely not in Latin America. As we've talked about in the past, in Latin America, it was a big deal for a company to raise $10 million a couple of years ago. And now it's like on a weekly basis, I'm seeing um, very large rounds coming out of LATAM. I don't think it's going to slow down. The global investors have flocked and they're not going anywhere in fintech the same. And similarly, I think with India, we really saw like a spotlight this past year. I remember Baiju's was the only name I had paid attention to in India. And and now it feels like unignorable in a, in a really great way. Just some number context. The prior record was in Q2 2021, which was 337 deals, leading to 5.9 billion in investment. And then Q3 2021 of this year, we broke that 519 deals leading to 9.9 .9 billion in funding. It was just a quarter difference, not even a year, just a quarter. Just 
just just straight up. It's barely yeah. to the right. It's just up. Like that. That's how Indian funniness fell. And then Latin America just putting some numbers on it through the third quarter of this year: six hundred and sixty deals, fourteen point eight billion invested. The prior all-time highs were six hundred and eight deals in twenty nineteen. Crushed that already. And then the all-time high was five point four billion in twenty twenty. So essentially a tripling three Q three of this year. And that's why. We've been doing extra shows a lot, and that's why we're all a little tired, because this year has been challenging just in terms of activity. It's been it's been crazy. But let's talk about some individual themes and topics, some areas where we could not shut up, including something that now feels like six years ago. The whole GameStop meme stonk thing that we did in the early part of this year was crazy, but it now feels so long ago. It really does. I remember looking in preparation for this show what our January bylines were like. And I saw GameStop and I was like, what? I, I think that was the first time I had heard of Wall Street bets. I had heard of people rallying around a meme and somehow becoming rich from it. There were so many big statements being made. I remember that was one of the best times to be on the internet. I don't know, know about you guys, but it felt like we were witnessing history. We were witnessing history. I don't know if it was like a high mark of history, but it was certainly something that happened that we will remember. This frenzy, Marianne, that we saw on Robinhood, on Reddit, uh, led to congressional hearings and questions about like how the stock market works. Like it actually kind of like peeled back some of the onion. It definitely put Robinhood in the spotlight. And there was a lot of question about how ethical its trading rules were. A lot of that publicity was not positive. But Robinhood is, is kind of like a cat with nine lives, right? It just keeps coming back no matter what scandal or lawsuit it, it seems to be dealing with at any given moment. I, well, well, that's true. And I don't disagree. I, I don't mean to be contrary uh, on our lovely okay. I Christmas love when, when you're show. contrary. Are you kidding? It's fun. <laughs> yeah. This is why Marianne hasn't killed me yet after working together for 70 years. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. Robin Hood went public this year on the back of this GameStop boom, this explosion in consumer trading activity that we saw bolster Coinbase and uh, even Square's crypto earnings and so forth. Robinhood eventually went public in July, late July, July 29th at $38 per share. And I just checked because I had kind of stopped watching its stock price day to day because it's public now and kind of outside of our remit. It's only worth $23 a share. It has essentially declined from an all-time high of 85 after it went public to 23 just like how the meme stonk boom has slowed down, so too has the value of the participatory companies to that moment, I'd say. That's really interesting. I didn't realize that stock was trading at, at such a low price. I, mean, I guess this kind of brings us into the other conversation of the year, which was crypto and the rise of not being able to ignore it. And when GameStop was happening, a lot of people were starting to be introduced to this idea of owning assets, using them in different ways, rallying around causes on the internet and getting rich quick. That feels like an on-ramp into at least conversations um, across multiple generations on how to be a participant in the stock market. I think what we see is a crossover between the financial world and the technology world world going from like Robinhood to crypto and then Robinhood to Coinbase and then from crypto to the creator economy in between that we have NFTs so it, it does seem like a number of these meta themes do have overlapping circles if you will we've seen a, a, a maturity or a, a maturation of the crypto exchange market this year that led to really crypto branding going everywhere I can't watch F1 now without seeing FTX and Crypto.com ads, not to mention CrowdStrike, HPE, and everyone else who pours money splunk into the F1 world. But like there's a lot of crypto branding there now and crypto in the NBA. 
and crypto on stadiums. And it really feels like crypto is this weird friend who wouldn't leave your house. And then he started painting the walls. I and mean, I'm, I think it's, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Alex. Sorry, sorry. I, you were about to say something very funny, probably, and I'm interrupting you. But I just think this really speaks to how crypto has gone mainstream. Okay. Like a few years ago, crypto was just this like vague term that referred to some digital stuff. And a lot of people didn't even understand it. But now, now I really think it's officially mainstream and that's kind of a huge deal. Do people though actually understand it now, Natasha? Do you think that people actually really, really grok this, uh, this phenomenon or are more people just waving their hands saying web three and GM? <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest. I, I, I don't know everything and I don't entirely understand it. My friend who's been a longtime founder in the sector said for the first time since he started his company, he's not up to date on all things crypto because there's been so much development and and noise in the sector. So it feels like 2021 to me was like the on-ramp year for crypto. And 2022 will be like the, we're going to lose our patience if you don't give us a use case that we actually care about year for crypto. Um, there hasn't been any massive burns, right? I mean, in crypto yet. But we've been saying that for so long now. Like, I mean, I remember saying that in 2015 and like uh, not to reach our territory, but like the thing that we were originally told was that, you know, Bitcoin's great because it's censorship resistant and it's going to be a currency that didn't really work out. And then it was going to be for remittances, but transfer wise is doing fine. And it seems to me the real innovations from crypto thus far have been uh, wealth creation inside the crypto space. Fine. And uh, that's what I can come up with. You know, so I, I, I'm it's still a little thin. The gaming thing is big. I think this has been a trend this year. Axie Infinity and other kind of like crypto games have done well, but it still seems relatively niche to me compared to gaming in general. So I'm waiting, but let's not get too bogged down on crypto. We could spend all year here. We pretty much did. So let's move on. Let's give ourselves a gift and talk about creators. The creator economy has been such a big topic this year for good and for ill. Natasha, just overall, a couple of things. What stuck out to you from the creator economy this year? What are you thinking about heading into next year? I think our episode with Alexis Gay really solidified my feelings about the creator economy for the year. She made this really great statement, which was basically that creators aren't these fragile plants. We don't need a lot of the services that are being offered, but but that aside, we're not just these single, you know, focused individuals that just are trying to make money off of all of and everything we do. I think at one point she had said no to a um, cohort-based learning platform that was offering her to teach a class because she was like, that's not necessary for my audience. And, and so for me, I think the creator economy went from something that was exciting, anyone could get rich, to I think it weeded out some of the tourists and a lot of people stayed and figured out what beyond money they would be here for. How, how do you guys feel about that? I just love the phrase weeded out the tourists. I agree with that. There was a great tweet that I saw, and I can't source this to whomever did it. So this was you. Thank you. They said there's more creator startups than creators. And that's kind of my takeaway and summary from the year, because so many people realized they could get into this. A bit like community became this this kind of buzzword. I'm not going to say just 2021, but in general recently, because what VCs learned is if you have your own community, you don't have to give all of your money to Facebook for advertisements to grow one. You just have one. And so it became a cheap way to get around advertising effectively. And creators, I think the idea was here is a built in active user base. If you can build something for them, they will show up and drive GMV through your platform for you. Ergo, it's cheaper. It's just hard to do. It's hard to get people to show up. You know, Clubhouse uh, was this year. It took off. Everyone showed up. Okay. Passing, Mary- passing the mic to Marianne. Yeah. All right. Something to say about Clubhouse. I will admit, and, I, and I'm not embarrassed to say this, that I never once was on Clubhouse. No not way. More. How? I mean, first of all, the invite only crap. I mean, please, like, give me a break. That really was, like, annoying. 
So I have to be invited to be on uh, that I don't want to be on, even though I got an invitation. It, it, I was not impressed by this. Like, I felt like it was trying to make it feel so exclusive and, you know, try to make people want to be on there because, you know, they couldn't. So I didn't like that very much. Second of all, it seemed like everybody was doing these shows at night. Okay, well, if you have children and you're working your ass off all day, I mean, the last thing I'm going to be doing at 10 o'clock is kind of just get people in, in a place to talk about a given topic, especially something that's hot. Like you guys have been doing some great spaces around some fun topics like Jack Dorsey stepping down. My like not being too into Clubhouse doesn't mean that I don't think live audio has potential. Yeah. Marianne is, is a hater of a company, not a hater of a sector. <laughs> that's a very important distinction. It, it, it's a very tar- It's a laser beam of hate. You know what I mean? Very. <laughs> yeah, well, hate's a strong word. Sorry, now. it's a laser <laughs> beam of vehement dislike. There we go. Uh, so we talked about creator burnout. We talked about live audio. One thing we haven't touched on quite yet is uh, just remote work in general. Last year, people talked about remote work as this question mark. This year, I would say remote work became a period, became a, a fact. And I, I think that people aren't going back to the office, at least as much as we might have guessed a year ago. Like heading into 2021, the pandemic was nine months old. Uh, in the U.S. at least. Now it's 21. And, you know, Marianne, I don't think uh, I don't think they're going to get you and I back in the office. Well, I mean, I haven't been in an office in like almost 10 years anyway, but I've talked to so many people who are going to an office on a daily basis and they are like, no way in hell am I going to go back to an office for five days a week? And I do think that that's going to be a big issue for companies. And that's why some of them are adopting this. Okay, you can work from home if you want to. And then there's these hybrid models. People found out they liked being at home working in their jammies and, you know, they like the flexibility and that's not going to change. And once you've had a taste of that for a year and a half or so, it's going to be really hard to get them to go back to getting dressed up and commuting every day. I think in a really cool way, the side effect of people getting their lives back and commutes back is that we saw employees asking for more. Like I I remember so many startups in health tech and ed tech were pitching me the benefits for employees. It became part of like a business strategy. How do we make employees? um, How do we sell our product to employees of big companies, which probably was always a big thing because of how sticky it is. But it was great to see um, companies start to pay more attention. And then also individuals during the great resignation leave their companies in pursuit of something more ambitious, something different, something that had more work-life balance because they were comfortable and able to see that. I think just staying at home like changed the way we visualize ourselves at work, at least for me. And so it helped me like create boundaries in ways I probably wouldn't have if I was still going from like 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., then to a happy hour, then to a VC dinner, and then home. Oh, <laughs> man, I remember those days you get home at like 10 p.m and you have to go to bed and you're like wait wait a minute wait a minute that was my entire day and i'm half drunk right you're half drunk and i'm fully drunk which sucks (laughs) well by the time you get home from vc if you've never been to a vc dinner let me explain a vc dinner was back in the day when a vc firm would pull together i don't know natasha three four partners couple portfolio companies and they would invite a handful of journalists and they would hire a private dining room yeah and you would sit there and you would be served food by an excellent staff and then you would be often bored to death. And so you would drink copiously because there was uh, endless booze and then it was a good time. Well, good time. You know, it was a time we did this for a time. And now, now I I can't see that coming back. Frankly, I just, Oh my God, totally. Miriam, what you were saying earlier of like these clubhouse rooms were happening at like eight or 9 PM. Like it it felt like an extension of VC dinners in a way, but let's not get too stuck in any one thing. Lots more to get through. Marianne FinTech huge this year. We picked out a couple of themes. BNPL, obviously enormous embedded fintech was big. I mean, my gosh, it was just a a cavalcade of headlines. 
buy now, pay later is literally everywhere. And I think consumers love this option of not having to pay up front, having time, not paying interest, all of that. I still think, as cool as it might be, there's still some things to watch and be careful for. I mean, a firm went public, and then we've seen this year was the year that Square bought Afterpay. Klarna didn't mm-hmm. go public this year, which was... But raised a lot of money. I mean, that's been true for years now. I, it's like another year has gone by. Klarna has raised another $10 billion and it's not public, but it's going to do it eventually. There's got to be some sort of like like uh, anti-maturity race going on between like Chime... <laughs> And Klarna and a couple of other companies that are just like refusing to go public because they just won't. And I, I don't get it. Guys, there's also my favorite <laughs> sector of the year. Corporate spend. Woo. Let's uh, go. <laughs> Ramp, Brex, Divi, lots of companies there. Airbase, of course, in there. Super competitive, super well-funded. And I, look, I could talk about that for 10 yeah. minutes. I'm not going to. But like FinTech had so many sub headlines this year. It, it's kind of crazy. Like neobanks. I mean, shit, Chime not going public. I mean, like just so much. For a while, it felt like our show was yeah. the FinTech show. I think like every shot we were doing was like another big FinTech m and PayPal and Pinterest. Remember when that almost happened, but didn't? Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's, that's, like, I have forgotten ago. about that. <laughs> right. Like as someone who's not spending their days talking to FinTech founders and VCs, it just it was it, I was forced to stay smart on it. Thankfully, through both of your writing. <laughs> Trip Actions got into it, like after being focused on travel. So I thought that was interesting. And then I wrote about a company recently called Mendel based out of Mexico, and they're doing purpose spend in LATAM. You're right, Alex. This is huge. It's going to continue to grow. And, and it's really interesting to watch these players in the space as they all kind of keep growing. We'd be remiss to not address Africa because Africa had an insane year when it came to fintech startups raising money. Africa's had one of the most impressive rises. We didn't put it up at the top because uh, it's just a smaller market than India. So we kind of just ranked some of the biggest markets. But if you want to see a, a, a startup market on the rise, go ahead and just look through kind of like aggregated data from Africa for the last couple of years. And you'll see like essentially being ignored, ignored, ignored. Oh, shit, we need to invest in Africa. That's kind of my summary of the last couple of years. Numbers are still way too small for the opportunity, I think, in Africa in terms of like rising digital penetration, the need for just kind of the same fintech boom I think we saw in Latin America in terms of like underbanked populations. But we're seeing companies of all types being founded across the African continent. So uh, especially you'll hear us talk about a lot more. And frankly, you know, between Manish and India and Tej and Africa, we're not getting all of it. We, we have two of the best reporters in the world for those two places, period. But we also only have really kind of one a piece. And so like we I hope here's a prediction. I hope in 2022 we hire more in Africa and India because God knows we need it. Uh, really briefly on media, we saw BuzzFeed go public via a SPAC this year. We saw also kind of the big VC push into media. Natasha, did Future from Andreessen launch this year? I definitely think it did, but wow, I will okay. just check the headline really fast. Yes, it did. June 15th, 2021. That, that was, was the June? official announcement. Oh, wow. Yeah. wow. I think Future set this bar and now every BC firm is getting into media in some way. It, it really transferred from the podcast buzz to actually just fully written stories. So think about the people mm-hmm. we've lost. I and mean, let's just point the uh, point the finger internally. We lost our own Danny Crichton to to Lux. Lux? Yeah. Still sad I'm seeing about him next week. I'm seeing I'm talk- yeah, Lux. I'm seeing him next week. But it's it's Lux Capital, right? Uh, yes. Jealous. Okay. Lux, yeah. Uh, we lost Lux. Anthony Ha to ENIAC. ENIAC. We lost mm-hmm. Sheebs to mm-hmm. that climate thing. Climate Jonathan fund, Schieber. yeah. Robert yeah. Downey's. Yeah, uh, Robert Downey. Who else have we lost recently? Megan went from protocol to backstage. Yes, so, we lost her originally to protocol, then to backstage. I think there's another name that I'm missing. They're gonna, Eric they're gonna, Eldon. Yes, there we go. Oh my God, this is so weird. Yeah, there's so yeah. many people left for VC. 
That's crazy. I didn't realize yeah. it was five. This is why I did the tweet. Uh, VCs stop hiring TechCrunch reporters challenge 2022. Like, like, like <laughs> go away. Leave us We're alone. Busy. Yes. Stop. <laughs> stop offering lower workloads for twice the money to people that we like. Thank you. <laughs> Like, uh, and then part. finally, before we jump into the audience uh, stuff that people sent in for, on Twitter, just I want to throw it in there. InsureTech had an up and down year. We saw uh, MetroMile and Root and Lemonade lose a lot of their values public companies. Um, we've also seen companies like AgentSync reach unicorn status. So on one hand, startups approaching the insurance market from an infrastructure perspective, doing very well. Startups making and selling insurance, less good. Something to keep in mind. That's been a big story. But uh, let's move on, Natasha, to some honorable mentions. From whence have these come? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, been very cool to see everyone listen to uh, everyone post their Spotify unwrapped and having equity in it is really cool. So we thought we'd give some honorable mentions to what other people thought their headline of the year was. So I, I, I've given everyone an assignment of what to say out loud. Alex, do you want to start us off? Okay. So uh, everyone said meta, the Facebook rebrand. Um, Marianne, on a scale of one to 10, how cool was the meta story? Mm. Two. Two. Okay. Uh, moving on in that case, um, Square changed its name to Block. I'm going to give this as five out of 10, I think, because I think it was unexpected, but yet slightly cliche once we saw it, but we did get the Block like images of everyone's face. That was funny. Yeah. I'll give that a five <laughs> out of 10. And then uh, Constitution Dow was a big thing that y'all brought up. I'm going to give that a 10 out of 10 because it got me to lay on the couch watching a Christie's auction on my phone and shouting which buyer is theirs and Brooke or no David knew. Brooke or freaking David Brooke Brooke we have 38 million David David they're bringing up the gavel it's like <laughs> I didn't realize it was so fun like yeah. it was cool yeah, yeah the mRNA vaccines I have three of those in my body shout out Moderna I'm going to give that a seven out of ten ten out of ten for efficacy Zero out of 10 for not stopping the pandemic because I incorrectly <laughs> hoped they were going to. Turns out I didn't know how public health worked. Ah, the things you learn. And then finally, uh, from my section here, people were talking about Bitcoin proving that it is not a hedge against inflation. Correct. Bitcoin is a speculative asset and uh, it doesn't have jack shit to do with uh, inflation. There you go. <laughs> just continuing it. Some other people were saying that just the money and attention towards climate tech was huge, which definitely feel that as well, just based on the inbox, based on our inboxes, that feels like it's going to be another one of those horizontal sectors that everyone's going to have a strategy to show. Having to produce live streams rather than live conferences and events, similar, but not the same. Agreed completely. We lived a lot on Hopin. Um, I think we had that headline was Hopin was the fastest growth story of the era. We also had Tiger, just the word Tiger because Tiger was unavoidable in a lot of rounds. <laughs> the fact that human error and misconfiguration brought on a huge portion of the internet with that Fastly outage. Throwback. <laughs> that was a great day to work because we didn't have to work. And then finally, the quote of the year probably was, will you commit to ending Finsta? Which if you don't get the context of that, too bad. Because <laughs> I don't want to explain it. <laughs> We're not. Oh, how about a small hint? Uh, okay. <laughs> Congress, old people, hearing... Lol. <laughs> but it wasn't just a big year in technology, guys. It was actually a big year for the show. And just kind of send everyone back to their families in uh, probably the vodka bottle. We had a number of personnel changes. Uh, we lost Danny Crichton, sadly, after a bajillion episodes. Danny was, uh, I would say, one of the finest that we've had on the hosting mics here at Equity. Uh, but we traded him out like a baseball card for Marianne Azevedo, and that has gone brilliantly. 
Yeah. So Marianne, shout out for joining the show. We really appreciate you. And behind the scenes, mm -hmm. you guys can't see, but we see all the time, was Grace, who joined this year. Grace has been uh, an absolute instrumental portion of the production team here at Equity. Helps us put together the scripts, helps us edit, just full of good ideas, great analysis, and is just a brilliant human as well. Yeah. And then another shout out to our other producer, Chris Gates. He led the charge on helping us launch another show. So we've been doing this Wednesday show. It's been tough because we, you know, don't get more hours in the day, but are producing a new whole new show. But he's been great at, at leading the charge and making sure we're always putting out good stuff. And correct me if I'm wrong, that I guess that means that we've broken a lot of records this year as well. I didn't get a chance to go tabulate all the millions of downloads we got this year, but I'm pretty sure this was by far our biggest year by by a margin of like two or something crazy like that. So it, it, it's been it's been huge. I guess we should say thank you for listening all year because we've done something like 450 episodes now. We're coming up on episode 500, coming up on the fifth anniversary of the show and still here. Uh, and we finally got some some things to show for, including I believe this was the year we finally got a Twitter account after much after <laughs> much waiting. There's some internal drama that I'm not going to drag you through there, but you can follow us on Twitter now. And for the long time, you couldn't. <laughs> And then the, uh, the the sad news from the equity team, the depressing news, the real letdown, is that uh, we still don't have merch because we're not allowed to. That's 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 best we can say. We're not, not allowed to have merch. So I own the only two pieces of equity merch in the world, and uh, they're both lovely, but you can't have one. Um, my prediction for next year is going to be that we get merch. That is my prediction. We're doing an episode, I think, next week with our predictions for 2022. So that's my... We have, we've teased our predictions this entire episode. So Well, it's hard, to, it's hard to look back <laughs> and not talk about what's coming next. Okay, uh, we're going to stop the show and come back next week with predictions. This is Equity. Natasha, Marianne, as always, a delight. Chris is uh, behind the scenes making everything work this week. Thank you, Chris. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Have a good holiday.